Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, my co-hosts, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here once again talking about this week's UFC event going down to the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada. Headlined by a woman's strawweight bout, Marina Rodriguez taking on Rodriguez taking on Amanda Lemos. We're here talking about the prelims right now with a featured featherweight bout between Derek Minner and Shailen Nerdambeke. And uh, yeah, it's a prelim card. <laughs> if the main card is fine but not special, the prelim card is definitely. A big cut below that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just uh, not special is all it is. Truly nothing special. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's get into it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's even worth complaining about that much. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Um, all right. Uh, lead me in, Zane. What's our first fight? Our first fight, Derek Miner, Shailan, Nerdambeke. And this will be at least a brawl. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, both it's both a, dudes start matchup. fast and they swing hammers and they like to wrestle and Minner likes to grapple. And so this should just be a war from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, I got to give uh, Nerd and Becke uh, extra points for having one of uh, many cool culturally specific hats. Mm-hmm. Always yeah. like to see those hats after the fight's over. He's got a good one. Whatever that little bring us more hats, damn it! That is what the UFC is missing: is an extend an extensive universe of Mm -hmm. fighter hats. Whatever that little like pillbox with like the necktie on it is called. Mm -hmm. It rocks. It Um, does. Oh, it doesn't have the necktie. I'm confusing it with. um, I think that's Shavkat Rachmanov has the one with the little dangly piece. No, no. Who's the Mongolian fighter? Um, Dana Bacharel. Oh, yeah, ba- Bacharel Dana. He's got the one with the with the cool little tail. Anyway, uh, that's the most interesting part of this fight. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a good matchup. Yeah. Derek Minner, um, you know, first round finish machine, win or lose. Yeah, we talk about top 10. We t- talk about tests for the top 10. Derek Minner is the test for the bottom. Yeah. And uh, he had that one fight that sort of suggested that he might have sort of expanded his uh, his fight winning parameters outside the first round. Mm-hmm. And even at the time, I recall being quite wary because that fight was against Charles Rosa. Yes. And if there's one thing you know about Charles Rosa, it's that if you want to take him down, you're going to get him to play defense off of his back for a very long time. Yeah. He's not going to push you. You're not going to have many opportunities to tire yourself out. You're just going to have to mind your defense and maintain top position. And it's pretty easy to do. Which, to to be fair to Derek Miner, is a lot more than he was doing. Yeah, it was still a good showing. Yeah. He understood the matchup perfectly and he rolled his way to easily his most consistent win probably ever. It was his first decision win in six years. Yeah. And just the third of his entire career. Yeah. And you can bet those other two were at a much lower level, even than Charles Rosa. Doubtless. Um, but, you know, those uh, those changes, if they even were changes or just a, a forgiving matchup, they didn't um, they didn't stay. Because other people will fight back harder and push you harder than Charles Rosa will. Yeah. If you just try to take them down and run at them and take them down. I I think they, you know, I will give them the benefit of the doubt. I will say, I think they stayed and that I think that he has made good, solid changes and that I think they were very functional. It's just that there's still something deep in his nature. Yeah. That's, any of the right kind of opponents can push him right back into the the wrong game. Yeah, it's basically it's a bit too late to yeah. 
to try making such a drastic change when you have been a guy who lives and dies by the sword in the first four minutes of every fight for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I straight away am just favoring Shailon Nerd on Bieke because uh, he looks like a guy you would expect to like do way too much early in gas. He's a muscle-bound monster. He throws massive mm-hmm. power. He, he gets into energy uh, taxing wrestling and grappling exchanges, scrambles hard, hunts submissions. He's quite yep. an active Doesn't fighter. Doesn't control anything. Doesn't control shit. Uh, yeah. But uh, honestly, he holds it together pretty well. Yeah. He, he maintains. He's a pretty consistent fighter, and... um. You know, he's durable, which is good because he gets hit clean a lot. Yep. Uh, and is always willing to take the fight into another phase if something isn't working out. You know, good good sort of basic transitional fighter. He looks like a real MMA native. And, um, yeah, basically I'm going to count on him to not just get destroyed in the first round grappling exchanges and then to do better in those exchanges as the fight goes on while also stealing some opportunities on the feet because the dude can't help but create crazy exchanges, and neither can Derek Minner. Yeah. That's about it. I like it, and I'm picking Derek Minner. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Shailan Nerdambeke has six submission losses to, in his career, mm-hmm. half of which, four of which have come in the first round. And he has also got... Uh, let's see... You mean he almost got calf TJ Brown <laughs> and five uh, five first round losses overall, including knockouts. Mm-hmm. He starts fast. He goes nuts. If it if he survives and if it works out for if if this goes past a round, I'm picking Shailon Nerdenbeck. Of course, no, no question. That's a Derek Minner fight for you. Yeah, and Nerdenbeck will throw the kind of pace at him that even a more patient, more collected. A uh, calmer Derek Minner, who has had several large bets on on the over placed on him by his head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, even that guy. <laughs> oh wait, is that is that what happened? Yeah, I've been hearing about this a lot lately. I did not hear the original story when it dropped that James Krause is betting on his fighters or something. He he's just betting all the time. He is all the money that. James Krause makes and has made in his M- in his career as with MMA by his own admission pretty much all the money he's made is through gambling. Oh my god. And he now runs a professional tout service oh on god. Discord where he is advising that and not only that but is doing the much more questionable and I think illegal thing of taking people taking over people's betting accounts and placing their bets for them. And is he advising bets on his own fighters? I don't know. I I have that no is clue. A, an ethical swamp right there. But, but man is it ever. Yeah. It is Boy, I do yeah. not want my coach to be a professional tout. Right? Absolutely not. Yeah. So thus the easy joke that, you know. Okay. Well, good to know where it's all been coming from. I've only seen the secondhand references to that. uh, Yeah. That's that's where it's coming from is that he did an interview on the Emmett. Krauss did an interview on the MMA hour where he laid out his whole professional gambling credentials in an an attempt to drum up more business. And uh, everybody's like, "Uh, you're, you're a head coach of a major camp. That's kind of a huge conflict of interest. Yeah, no kidding. So, anyway, Nerdenbeke will definitely push the kind of fight that will gas Minner. Minner won't be able to control the pace of this fight. There will be no ability for him to just to be calmer. Even if he wanted to, if he tried to slow this down, Nerdenbeke is just going to run him over. If that's the reason that James Krause has ever, like hesitated to stop a fight like it probably isn't he's probably just an mma coach and none of them stop i i will occam razor this Uh personally and say that he is probably keeping it all perfectly in his own mind separate (laughs) 
uh-huh. and professional and handling this as a professional business and doing the right, you know, doing what he feels is the right thing by some moral code. Uh-huh. It's still, it's incredibly shady and shitty and is, yeah. he, I mean, there's no way that he can not be placing bets based on some insider knowledge. Yeah. You know? There's just no way. Well, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt in saying that he's probably just bad at protecting his fighters. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, all MMA coaches are. That's, yeah, exactly. You know, uh, that wouldn't make him stand out. That said, I, you know, I was joking when this news dropped, the UFC was telling fighters no more gambling and trying to crack down on fighters gambling. Because I mean, technically it's already illegal for athletes to bet on their own sports in any way and for uh coaches to pay place uh, coaches or other people with intimate knowledge uh-huh. are also technically barred from betting on those sports like if you are if your brother-in-law is in the nfl and you guys hang out all the time you're not technically allowed to go bet on his game you might not even be technically allowed to bet on football in many states it's it's pretty, you know, there's a lot of pretty restrict because gambling lobbies are powerful, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's already illegal, but the UFC coming in and cracking down and saying, hey, guys, you're not allowed to do this is probably like the biggest fighter income loss since the sponsor tax. God, that's depressing to think about. Fighters gamble all the time. How many times have you been on social media and seen fighters talk about the bets they're placing for yeah, this yeah. week's card? You're right. It happens constantly. All the time. And guys like, I mean, like guys like Derek Brunson talk about like, you know, oh, I'm dropping like five grand or 10 grand on this fight coming up, you know, like, yeah, there are heavy betters out there. But somehow it's worse for a coach, isn't it? It does feel worse. Yeah. I don't know. Because there has to be all trust in that relationship. Yeah. yeah. That's an yeah. ethical quagmire, to say yeah. the least. Okay, well, anyway. sorry for that long digression. No, no, no. I was just learning about these specifics. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Nerdenbeck, he'll come out there. He will throw himself into the teeth of Minner's offense, and he'll do it yes. with abandon. And it'll break Minner, or it won't. And the thing for me with Nerdenbeck is that he's been broken just enough before and the fights he's had against TJ Brown and Sean Soriano, like Brown and Soriano aren't even close to nearly as opportunistic as Minner. Yeah. And they offered lots of opportunities that somebody like Minner could have taken advantage or of. Or as athletic. I mean, it, it, yeah. you can forget it because Minner gasses himself and get and crumbles, but he is really fast and dangerous. And in he that, is in that first a great opportunist. And Nurdenbeke has a bad habit, too, of like yeah. if he gets pushed, if he gets pressured uh, and Minner will come out throwing bombs right away, he will take bad low shots. Yeah, you know what? I I never ever. My instinct is always not to pick the guy who needs the first round finish to win. Yep, and I I'm gonna side with you. I'm gonna flip flop. Yeah, yeah. It just feels exactly like his kind of win to me. Yep, I think you're right. Odds on the bout. Minner is the underdog. Makes sense. If he if this fight goes more than a round, he's gonna lose. Opened at plus 170, dropped to plus 167, currently back up at plus 169. Beck is the favorite, open at minus 200, currently down at minus 210. Derek Minner, oh. under two and a half rounds, is minus 130. Uh, Minner wins by submission, plus 350. Minner inside the distance, plus 300. Oh, that's the bet. Yeah. Because he, because he, he, he'll punch people on the ground too. I mean, I think that's the bet. Nerdenbeke by TKO KO is plus two hundred. So bookmakers you know, are Kraus isn't turning up his nose at the, that line. Yeah, right. He's for sure betting on Minner to win inside the distance. Min, Minner wins in round one plus six fifty. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. it is it is a chancy chancy thing because 
we have seen Minner get blown up for this just as many times as we've seen it succeed. But dude is he's a legit danger, you know? Terrence yeah. McKinney is one of the hot hot new things in MMA in the lightweight division right now, and he's got a fifty seven second loss to Derek Minner. Yeah. And like I said before, um Shailon went out there and like he, quickly into a fight with TJ Brown, who is a yeah. good, well-rounded, very resourceful fighter, also very opportunistic, but nobody's oh. idea of a good athlete. And currently also a James Krause guy. So <laughs> he went out there and pretty quickly just got into a dangerous grappling exchange in which he almost got leg locked. And Minner is going to be a lot more likely to. Yeah. Like, you know, Minner is a much more instant i turned an instant opportunity into a submission right. kind of guy yeah and 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 also typically more reliable submission attacks too rear naked yep. chokes guillotines arm triangles that kind of thing yep all right that brings us to a woman's flyweight bout miranda maverick shanna young i think we probably already talked about this at some point in the past this fight's certainly been scheduled before and canceled but uh it's been a while, so I will get into it in depth again and say that Miranda Maverick is going to absolutely trounce Shanna Young, and that's all you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, we, I don't recall getting into it in much more depth than that last time. Yeah, the thing is, is that, like, the Gina Mazzani fight was such a great layout for this. Yeah. And it basically included Shanna Young getting immediately run into the cage and controlled. And then turning out over the long run that she was the much better athlete and that Mazzani has really bad habit or bad problems with gassing out from her own pace. Which comes up over and over again and being extremely uncomfortable as a striker. Mm -hmm. And uh, Maverick is still kind of learning to be a comfortable striker, uh, learning not to be so rote. But she's very comfortable in what she doesn't know. Like, she she will just step in and do the same, press, pressure the whole fight, do the same thing over and over, uh, have exchanges, whatever she needs to. Mm-hmm. And she's been, you know, she recently moved camps, um, and there was a pretty, there was an ugly transition period for those Barber and Blanchfield fights where she seemed like she was a little more at sea with the new, new things that she was trying on. But that looked a lot better against Mazo. Mm-hmm. And uh, then otherwise, she converts her clinch and her uh, pressure into takedowns really well if her opponent is going to give her free reign to work those positions. And Blanchfield and Barber both didn't, but Shanna Young absolutely will. Mm-hmm. So you got to pick uh, Maverick to get easy takedowns and to really start wearing on Young. Yep, I got nothing. I, th- I think you hit all the uh, appropriate nails on their respective heads. Yeah. It's a gimme. It is. Poorly booked fight. Unusually poorly. Booked. Honestly, yes, it's not. Doesn't really make any sense, Mm-mm. especially the rebooking too. Like, yeah, this got canceled, and uh, you had a great chance, and it got canceled because Shannon Young had weight cutting issues because she's pretty thickly built for a flyweight. She's probably better suited to being a bantamweight, and now you're rebooking it. Like that doesn't it just why rebook a bad fight when one of the fighters failed the weight cut? I, I really don't know. Yeah. The UFC has this bad habit, unfortunately, of like once they've put a fight on paper, they've got the agreement and it's just like, you know, it's it's so much easier to just press the contract they've already got signed than it is to come up with a new one. Yeah. So I get it, but I don't like it. Odds on the bout. Maverick opened at minus 300, dropped straight to minus 500, and is currently at minus 616. Shanna Young opened at plus 250, jumped up to plus 385, is currently up at plus 437. 
All right, that brings us to a bantamweight bout, Mario Batista, Benito Lopez. And uh, this is a fun fight. Yeah, absolutely. Not an easy one to call because um, both of these guys are kind of messy in their own way. Mm -hmm. Um, How does it feel like it has been? Yeah, I was going to say, it feels like it's been ages since Benito Lopez had a fight. Yeah, he jumped into the UFC, looked like he was going to be a fun action fighter, and then immediately got hurt and has been sidelined for two years. Hasn't even had a booking since then. Yeah, no, he got hurt and just took himself out of the pool. It wasn't one of those, like, oh, we tried to come back and couldn't and tried to come back and couldn't. It's, no. Yeah, July of 2019. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, for that reason, I do come in automatically leaning Batista. Could possibly be one of those things where Lopez comes back and just has added things yeah. that have been kept secret. I mean, he, his fight, his career was just kind of you know kicking into gear when he got injured so yeah this would be the right time for him to add a bunch of stuff but knowing who he is uh, who he was before the layoff an absolute wild man is basically yeah. the book benito lopez is a pure brawler mm-hmm. and um you know he's, he's helped at times because he's a pretty big brawler he's rangy he's tall yep um but it's just like 90% of his strikes are hooks. <laughs> that kind of fighter. Yeah. Uh, ducks his head, gets into range, and tries to force exchanges with people. Mm-hmm. And um, Batista's, he's a little more than a brawler. He is still yeah. kind of has that side of him. He certainly likes to scrap with people and trade shots. Yeah. But he's just more considered. He, he does a much better job, for example, of like staying tight and defensive throughout much of an exchange and then exiting with like a, an exclamation point kind of punch. But uh, or Batista is, is working to create a game that transitions through brawling where yeah. brawling is one of the things that happens in the fight, yeah. but it is a it, it is a transition point between stages. Yes. And Benito Lopez, the brawl is the fight. Right. You know, yeah, and I don't know how deliberate it is. I mean, I, you look at Lopez, and when his fights start, he goes out there and does normal MMA striker things. He'll poke yeah. people with inside low kicks, and he'll try to jab. And uh, But, you know, he gets hit clean, and it just turns into a brawl. Yeah, I think part of that for Benito Lopez is there's, he's not a he's not a very good clinch fighter, mm-hmm. and he's not a very good wrestler. And so I think there's just a real allergy to being controlled. And so, yeah, if the, his opponent's just going to hang out out at distance. He'll poke and peck away and have a rangy striking battle and try to be creative and flashy. But if they start trying to press him, then there's a real urgency of like, we got to make sure that you don't try to suck the life out of this fight by dragging me to the ground. Yeah. It's sort of a, like a lot of brawlers, honestly, it's like a yeah. get off me kind of yeah. instinct. Like, yeah. uh, oh, you're in range. Time to start swinging. And I mean, I think he, he even might enjoy it, but it's just the backbone of it is I'm, I'm, I'm happy here because I don't want you to get to the next point. Yeah. Yeah. There, there really is that turning point. In most of his fights, like early going of his fight with Vince Morales both guys moving around at range. Lopez, I mean, just because neither guy's really being tested or pushed, Lopez pretending to be a reasonably tactical striker. Mm-hmm. Landing low kicks, working his jab, circling. And then the moment that Morales gets sick of that and tries to press him back and lands a few combinations, uh, the fight just gets increasingly wild. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, I got to favor Bautista because he's down for that kind of fight. Mm-hmm. He's perfectly capable of, I mean, I, if anything, I think he's probably the more dangerous brawler than Lopez. Lopez tends to be a pretty attritive striker. Yeah. Uh, who just slaps and wings uh, shots and, and and has to overwhelm people or or sort of drown out their offense with more of his own to, to leave a good impression. Mm-hmm. Batista is an impactful puncher with single strikes. Um, but then there's also the fact that Batista has options. Yeah. 
he he has ways of exiting wild exchanges where he's taking an angle and landing a crisp shot on his way out. He uh, he certainly throws a few too many flying knees for my liking. <laughs> yeah. Which, but you know what? If anything, probably the opportunities won't even present themselves much in this fight because Lopez is tall. It's true. So maybe he won't even give in to that temptation. And then otherwise, he's going to land harder low kicks from range. He's going to throw, you know, double jabs and set up nice, like, three-punch sequences that make Lopez's footwork and defense fall apart. Um, so, yeah, more dangerous, slightly more technical, and in shape, has had fights recently. I got to favor Batista. Yeah, and there's also just, you know, Batista, like I said, his, his, his brawling is a midpoint for him. If he's he, he's out of range, he's trying to be. He'll usually just try to be. Uh, you know, he's got a bit of the Jonathan Martinez problem out at range, where um, the impulse for Martinez is to close the distance with something big and flashy in in uh, like the flying knee, and to just sort of like take a gambit on some big single strike landing. Yeah. Um. And so he'll take a, a few too many of those risks. Hmm. But his, you know, like the the idea for him is if he's getting inside and brawling his way inside, it's so that he can clinch and push his opponent up against the cage mm-hmm. and start working to control them and drag them to the mat so that he can get on top of them and grapple them there. And if that doesn't work and he gets back to his feet, that's fine. It's not, the wrestling isn't an end point. The grappling isn't an end point, but it's all sort of part of an interconnected, um, you know, the fight has to include all parts kind of style, which can be, you know, that can run into its own problems when you get people who can then just shut out your wrestling and grappling and force you to only strike. And then, you know, you get fights from Batista, like the Trevin Jones fight, Mm -hmm. where he's just popping strikes out there and eventually his opponent gets his timing and cracks him with something huge. Mm -hmm. But that's not Benito Lopez. Benito Lopez is going to give him all the transition points. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that in that kind of fight for Batista, it really will, will help him out that he can probably get in on, on Lopez, get him, get some takedowns, make him fight off the clinch get back to range. They'll have some even exchanges. They'll brawl in the pocket. And yeah, Batista might even be the harder striker there. And yeah, I think he is. It if just anything, feels he's just a tighter striker. I mean, Lopez, yeah. a lot of Lopez's shots are thrown with power, but they're slapping. Uh, Batista is much better at turning his fist over and connecting clean with, with his hooks. I, I was, yeah. I didn't even remember this. I was just about to say, Batista really reminds me of a, of a John Crouch fighter. <laughs> of course he is. Yeah. Um, and this is these are when John Crouch gets a brawler, somebody with a brawler's instinct. This is the kind of fighter he turns out like very yep. well rounded. If your instinct is to, uh, yeah, like you need to like scare the opponent off. You got to like prove yourself, impress yourself on them, and try to break their will by just being down to scrap. Then, uh, fighters like Batista will sort of take that dynamic wherever the fight leads. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the clinch fighting pressuring, but also knowing how to counter, like there's just enough connective tissue added to make him just a more reliable kind of brawler than Lopez. Odds on the bout. Lopez is the underdog here. Open at plus two twenty. dropped down to plus one eighty five is currently up at plus two thirty six. Batista opened at minus 260, jumped up to minus 240, and is currently down at minus 297. So odds getting a lot wider on that one in Batista's favor. Not surprising. He's been, it's been three years since people have seen Benito Lopez in the cage. And, uh, you know, beating fairly one-dimensional opponents in Vince Morales and Albert Morales. Mm-hmm. Uh you know they don't they don't make up for like a split decision to Steven Peterson or a quick submission loss to Manny Bermudez by guillotine. There's just 
there it feels like a lot of places where this fight can be taken to make it really tough on yeah. Lopez. All right. Women's strawweight bout, Pollyanna Viana, Jin Yu Frey, and Afry, and the forever question must be asked. <laughs> can Jin Yu Frey put out enough offense to beat this person whose game is absolutely miserable <laughs> and tailor-made to be beaten by her. She couldn't last time. I know. For some reason, I looked. I took one look at this matchup. I was like, oh, Fry. You right? She's going to get, like, easy takedowns. She's just going to sit on top. Yep. She's going to do her best Sarah McMahon impression. And she'll probably land one or two big shots because Pollyanna Vian is just going to like on her tiptoes, just sort of sidle into range. Mm-hmm. And then I remembered who Ginny Fry was. <laughs> and I, it's honestly not remotely easy to call. She went 0 for 1 on takedowns against Vanessa Demopoulos. <sighs> the same Vanessa Demopoulos who got easily taken down or got easily controlled by Corey McKenna on the ground for 11 minutes of their fight. Yeah. She... If, if, if fighting is a largely psychological exercise, if, uh, if, you know, if confidence is, is arguably the most important thing a fighter can have, uh, which I, I think it arguably is, then Ginny Fry is just not really a fighter. Yeah. Like, she does not have the desire to go out there and prove herself. She doesn't have a, like, tough, resilient mindset. She's, she is cautious in everything she does in the cage. Uh Caution is her whole style. And that, that... you know, I said it wasn't easy, but that just doesn't sound like a good thing to to rely on against Viana, who is the antithesis of caution. Yeah. Like, at least Viana's going to be going out there trying to make the fight happen. And, you know, she might get cracked, but she's, it's not going to change her innate aggression. And if she gets taken down, she might win a round off her back because she's going to be out there throwing up submissions and trying to create opportunities. And she's going to be trying to land shots from every range and do all those ranges bleed together because she's got no footwork or balance. Yes, but she'll fire kicks. She'll fire punches. She'll leap into the clinch. Um, Jinyu Fry is just like, how do you count on her to win any fight at all? Yeah, I mean... It is going to be from, and the funny thing is, for both women, it's going to be skin of their teeth every time. Because, yeah. like, but Viana. Tyron Woodley, because she doesn't even have the power Tyron Woodley had. Viana will drag good fights out of bad fighters. Yeah. She will absolutely make bad fighters be as active as she is. Yeah. Because ba- her stylistic base is making critical errors. Yeah. That's her style. And yeah, for Fry. Fighting consequences. That's the Viana way. For Fry, like, she scraped out a win over Ashley Yoder. Yeah. Just. And Gloria DePaula. She got outstruck by Gloria DePaula. Yeah. She's like strong and powerful and fast, and she went out there and just clearly lost to Loma look with me. Like, yeah. I, and her, meanwhile, her, her, uh, her training partners go out there in the cage and talk about like, I'm training with the bre- the best wrestler in women's MMA. It's Jin Yu Frey. Frey. And it's just like, where the hell is it? Yeah. It is not evident in any way, shape or form. It so should be a fight she can just run away with. It really is. It's right there. Like, Viana is going to, she is going to insist that Jinyu Fry win, and I cannot count on her to take her up on that offer. Is this just not who she is? She's just too cautious. Yeah. 
she's she freezes she can't pull the trigger and i think it's getting worse as she gets older mm-hmm. as it often does for fighters but yeah uh she doesn't even seem to have physically fallen off she's just even more tentative than she was before i'm gonna yeah. pick Bianca. I mean, this is right in line with the level of fight that uh, Trey does win. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm going to side with you. That that Vanessa Demopoulos loss was really sad. It's very frustrating to watch. Yeah. And I sound mad at Ginny Fry. I'm not mad at her, you know? I'm just disappointed. She seems nice. Yeah, I just I, I want to go out there and see her for f- fulfill her potential. Mm-hmm. That is the thing that she is increasingly incapable of doing. Yeah. You know, it's 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 your gifted child, and you found and, and you've got them poke, smoking pot in their room, and you're not like mad. I think Jenny Fry should smoke pot. She might loosen up a bit. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm thinking more of like the traditional, the 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 uh, you know 1950s family kind of thing. I've, I've discovered my my 14 year old child is a furry. <laughs> my heart is broken. <sighs> okay. Oh, of all the vices, why this? Pollyanna Piano opened at minus 140, <laughs> jumped up to minus 101. It's currently at minus 134. Jinyu Fry opened at plus 120, dropped down to minus 117, it's currently at plus 111. Yeah, I can't Fine. I can't disagree with the, the, the gamblers here who saw, you know, Fry down at favorite odds for a microsecond and leaped on it to uh, make Viana the favorite. If nothing else, Viana has 12 finishes on her record. Every fight she's won, she's won inside the distance. Yep. And Fry has three, and they came in her first three fights. Yep. If, if it's about her mentality, first four fights, then Viana has a fighter's mentality. She is yep. the polar opposite of risk averse. Yep. Yes, that can be a bad thing, but. She's going to go for it in this. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's going to decide it. All right. That brings us to a bantamweight bout. Ludwig Shalinian against Johnny Munoz Jr. And uh, the rare, um, like, non-awesome bantamweight bout. Yeah, it really is, right? Yeah. Neither one of these guys really shouts particularly good at anything. Mm-hmm. Shalinian is the I'm a I'm a I'm a wrestler who's wrestled all my life guy, and then he just got went out and got horsed around by Jack Shore in a fight that he admittedly had zero business being in and taking. Yeah, 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 yeah. He jumped in on short notice to fight Shore, and Shore's a huge step up. But you're going to be the wrestler, and somebody who, uh, you know, the Welshman goes out there and puts it on you. <laughs> wow, that's the most disparaging thing I've heard someone pronounce the word Welshman since the last time Phil said it. Yeah, I was going to say, we do shows with Phil. You can't tell me that I'm, like, more disparaging to the Welsh than anybody else. Oh, you chap, can. you can't let some Cornishman outgrab you. <laughs> Goodness me. But, I mean, you know, Shore is a great fighter, great wrestler, all that, but it Nonetheless, you know, it uh, it does not speak great volumes of Sholinian's innate wrestling ability. Yeah, this is the octagon, not a Devonshire clam bake. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what they do in Devonshire or where oh, Devonshire even is. I do know where Devonshire is. Oh, okay. Give me that. Okay. It's next to Cornwall. Okay. Um... um yeah, I mean, I don't know. And Sholinian also, like, he's he's got some power, but he's uh, he's I, I'm, I have to check his record again. I think the dude's had like th- a short career and like three split decisions. Yeah, he he likes split, to split majority. He likes to pressure a lot. Yeah, with his hands down. Yeah, and uh, trying to he's trying to do what um. 
Oh, who was the Jack Shore before Jack Shore that the UFC just kind of... Brett... um, Brett Johns. Brett Johns. He likes to do the Brett Johns thing just to try to, like, make you guess, am I going to punch you or am I going to shoot? Mm -hmm. But his boxing is so rudimentary that people just punch him. The people just just punch him instead. Like, there's never... There's no guess that, that his opponent needs to make. They're just like, oh... You're right in front of me, and your hands aren't anywhere near your face. I'm just going to hit you. Yeah. And uh, that makes for a lot of really even fights because you're taking a lot of punches, you know? Mm-hmm. Munoz will probably take him up on that. I mean, Munoz is a, a credible MMA boxer for his level. I, I, mm. For his level. And is he good? No. Does he move his jab and circle, use his jab and circle while he uses it? Yeah. He does, and I think that that is literally <laughs> the first and only thing he has learned on his <laughs> boxing journey. You know what? There's worse first things to know. It, no, there are. It is <laughs> It is honestly, it is a very functional place to start. It's uh-huh. just one of those things where he, before that point, up to that point, he had very little to no striking game at all and then somebody was like you need to start developing one here's a jab move your feet please uh-huh and he did that for a whole fight for like a round against jamie simmons and it worked great and then tony gravely just went out and was like okay what if i just hit you yeah really hard walk in and punch you right in the face yeah yeah Sholignan will probably do that. Have you seen Sholignan's fight, by the way? His his uh, Bellator bout with, uh, I think it's Sidamar. Yeah, Sidamar and Oreo. Some point, but not recently. Oh, my God. There is There are some very funny sequences that Honorio uh, really uh, tested <laughs> tested Sholignan's faith in his ability to just walk forward and invite punches. There's a uh-huh. sequence where Honorio hits him with... The left hook, uh, right low kick combination, and just puts four of those combinations together in a row. <laughs> just keeps punching and then kicking and punching and then kicking. And Shalanyan doesn't move out of range. He doesn't block anything. <laughs> he just <laughs> stands there and gets hit up and down the whole length of his body four times. Uh. Um, God, I don't know. Right, I I don't know. It's not a good fight. Who it's cares? Not. Yeah, either of these guys really is particularly good at MMA. Um, no, I I I guess Sholignan for aggression and yeah, I do think he's got some power. And when the fight inevitably gets messy, I suppose. But then again, Munoz is not a terrible wrestler. In his no, own. that's really the backbone of what Munoz needs for most of his fights to win. Yeah. Is... And he can, when he is moving around and jabbing, he can time a pretty good shot and finish it quickly. Yeah. Um, I really, it's an absolute coin flip. Mm-hmm. Um, Shulignan, I guess. Yeah, my feeling is that Shulignan will probably be able to... Uh, shut down Munoz's wrestling better than he could Shore. He's not Munoz isn't quite as deft as Shore as a wrestling threat, and doesn't have the boxing to, you know, mix it up and confuse Shalinian uh, in the same way. And uh, then at that point. I tr- you know, if if that's going to be the way of it, I got to think that uh, Shalinian is just going to be the more aggressive fighter who strikes a little more. Yeah. Uh, odds on the bout. Shalinian is the favorite or the underdog. Opened at plus one seventy, got down to plus one fifty seven. Is currently up at plus one eighty eight. Munoz opened at minus 200. It's currently down minus 235. That seems like a coin flip. I have no idea why the odds are at all far apart with any distance at all. God knows. All right. That brings us to a flyweight bout. Carlos Candelario, Jake Hadley. 
and uh, yeah, kind of like the uh, Shillinian Munoz fight. A lot of questions. Mm-hmm. More questions than I have answers for. Hadley came into the octagon with a reputation as like a pretty good uh, scrambling grappler from the Cage Warriors circuit. Mm-hmm. And with a really, you know, uh, solid uh, contender series win over another prospect. And then he fought Alan Nascimento, who is also a pretty good grappler with a lot of experience and who struggled with Tajiri Lombokov's grappling and just kind of got shut down. The biggest notable thing for Hadley was he gave up the easiest takedowns I have ever seen. Like, when he was on top of Nascimento, when he had the initiative, he did well. But all Nascimento had to do was, like, lean over and touch a leg, and Hadley would tip over and then try to play guard. And it's flyweight. Like... Of all the games that aren't going to work at flyweight, a guard grappling game seems like the most disastrous. Yeah. It's either fighting an opponent who is desperately trying to outscramble you or one who has built his whole game around keeping you on your back and shutting everything you want to do down from there. Yeah. It's... It's... This ain't light heavyweight. No. This ain't light heavyweight. It is not a magic bullet here. On the flip side, you've got Candelario, who is just not a very good athlete Mm -hmm. and fights the kind of fights that somebody who's not a very good athlete has to fight at flyweight, which is just messy all the time. Crazy and aggressive. Crazy and aggressive, get in your face, wing wild punches, shoot in on people, get on top, try to, you know, out-scramble them and keep the fight moving, make it about all about cardio, make it not about technique anywhere. To his credit, he's never been submitted. He's also lost uh, a split decision to Victor Altamirano mm-hmm. and got pretty easily pulled apart by Tatsuro Taira. Although that was that's, that's also he did find some opportunity. He did he did find some opportunities in there. He did get some reverses. He did get a couple takedowns of his own. Mm-hmm. And Tyra Tyra is a really good grappler, and yes, he didn't get submitted. Yeah, it's actually like secretly the best thing Tyra does. Yeah, he still had to use that uh, grappling acumen to escape some some pretty close calls. Like there was a point yeah. where Candelario was fully locked onto his back with the arm around the face. Yeah, and Tyra had to very calmly and deliberately escape. So, so I think I'm gonna pick Carlos Candelario. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't like it, and you know, I I do like Candelario. I think he's he's a fun fighter. He's a fun fighter, but I just, you know, I'm looking like that Altamirano fight where he got taken down four times and Mm -hmm. took his opponent down five and lost a split decision and like. There's room for Hadley to have his success here, but he can't hang out on his back in the UFC. He can't. And I've seen enough out of Candelario to know that he's not going to be easy to submit. Yep. And at that point, I'll trust him to be to work strong all the way through three rounds and just win out on uh, cardio. Yeah, difficult to submit, difficult to control. I mean, he's much more yeah. of a flyweight's flyweight. Yeah. And um, and has the kind of style that, um, you know, if you're prone to major defensive lapses, as I think Hadley is, in more than just the wrestling too, but yeah, uh, if you're prone to those kinds of lapses, then uh, Candelario is going to force those mistakes out of you because... Mm-hmm. He's aggressive, and he puts things together, not seamlessly, but, you know, actively puts things together. And it could be, of course, that, you know, maybe Hadley will go out there and 
be the better athlete, shoot one takedown, get back back control, and choke him out. But yeah, I need to see that kind of performance out of Hadley in the UFC before I start just depending on it after that debut. And I realize, like, Nascimento, you know, a better grappler than Candelario, mm-hmm. almost certainly. But... Um, but it wasn't he, just the takedowns. I mean... yeah. He gave up takedowns. He also gave up way too many sweeps. And then the, the yeah. fundamental issue is he does not have the requisite uh, urgency to mm-hmm. not be stuck on his back. He thinks he can win the fight from there. Yep. And that that's just, just going to happen less and less. Yeah. His career goes on. Odds on the bout. Candelario opened it plus 210 and is currently plus 216. Hadley opened at minus 250, dropped to minus 275, currently minus 273. I mean, I get that the Cage Warriors rub is probably pretty, you know, a pretty strong factor here where uh, Hadley came in with a seven-fight unbeaten streak and with the Cage Warriors flyweight title around his waist. But... uh, it's not going to be a comfortable fight for him, and I am never going to count out a guy even outside of this division who's so willing to play guard. Yeah. So win a fight against another willing grappler. Yeah. Capable willing grappler. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a woman's band and weight bout. Tamirez Vidal against Ramona Pasquale. Another winner. Uh, well, these prelims are actually bad, aren't they? They are actually bad. <laughs> Now that we've reached the end of them, this is a dire prelim card. Yeah. <laughs> Not good or interesting. A couple of these will be fun to watch. A couple Batista Lopez is a good fight. Yes. It deserves to be on the main card over Sherman Parisian. And Minner Nerdumbeke is a is, solid booking. It's a it's an understandable prelim uh, headliner yep. in this state of affairs. But these are bad, bad fights really are and and these are two extremely raw fighters yeah um tamiraz vidal has the advantage of looking just a little more athletic but not by much i mean that's really just because pasquale doesn't look athletic at all yeah uh vidal at least you know goes in there and when she throws a strike you're like oh that looked like it had some force on it she's she was able to use the muscles of her body to (laughs) Yeah, accelerate that shot as it left yeah. the shoulder. Uh, yeah. Pasquale is just prodding and pushing everything and and slow and. Uh, but then Vidal's uh, Vidal is an absolute mess as a yeah. There's no her striking game is other than overhands, which are rare, is pretty non-existent. Yeah, like that she just fight kind of shuffles around and then flings herself forward now and then. Yeah, that fight she had with. Um, Oh, what's her name? The LFA one? Yeah, the, with uh, Quelia Braga yeah, Quelia in LFA. Braga. That was a miserable fight for her. It, yes. And Braga was not... They, they trumpeted her boxing ability, but she was not offering no. anything of note other than like the occasional d- double jab to cross. I think she was clearly, I mean, with, with reason, as it turned out, very cautious about letting uh, about letting Vidal tie up with her and take her down. Yeah. And, you know, granted, after just losing the entirety of a tepid first round, the moment Braga tried to let a kick go, Vidal caught it and then just dashed forward and kind of awkwardly tumbled her on her back. But she didn't really even do anything from on top. She got mount, and she didn't do any damage. She instead had to drop for a heel hook yeah. to finish the fight. Is... I mean, can you pick Ramona Pasquale in the UFC? Oh, God. She has uh, never beaten anyone of any note or quality. No. Like, her only wins are over absolute debutantes or professional opponents. Yeah, you're right. I'll pick Tamara's Vidal. There's just because she looks like she's like strong and she has finishing potential. Yeah, and she's yeah. she's regularly beating people that have also fought fights and won them in the past. Yeah. 
So, and her only loss today, Carol Hosa, is a pretty good loss. Of course, yep. nothing, nothing wrong with that. But it's yeah, it's a, it's a you know what? The UFC should be doing this though. No, no, they shouldn't. They should. They're women. <laughs> no, you're Zane. You're wrong. This should be happening. The women's back. The women's bantamweight division has been a step stepchild division to this promotion for its entire history. They either need to go out and find and bring in every single woman bantamweight they can out there, and get them fights and see what they can shake out of it. Or close the damn thing. And then yeah. they're not going to close it. it. There's enough talent in there at the top to make something, to make it a routine thing to have on. And, you know, it's not woman's featherweight bad. No, you, you get at least three interesting fights a year. Yeah. <laughs> I know. But if you're going to do it, you got, they need to have these kind of fights. It's, no, it's the same right. thing. It's the same thing that they did with heavyweight, and it's Absolutely. been been working better with heavy and light heavyweights. Just like, just go sign every dude who looks like they can fight in that division at all, and see what happens. Yeah, I was going to make the same comparison with heavyweight that because we we've had uh, a couple occasions recently to talk about the idea that the UFC is not and probably should not be designed to work as a a prospect development league. Yeah, but. That is uh, that is true when the division you're talking about is good. Yes. Um, at women's bantamweight, at heavyweight, um, the, these are not divisions that, like, there's no movement whatsoever in the top five for, like, women's bantamweight, like, five years running. Mm-hmm. For for heavyweight, like twenty five years running, <laughs> Andre Arlovsky is still here. Yeah, like you want to get the you want to get the Cyril Gons out there. Yeah, you gotta hire the Josh Parisians. Yeah, you just got you know a wide net. Just bring in the fresh blood. Exactly, and I, that's what they 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 have never done that with women's bantamweight at all, and they really desperately need to start. So necessary process, maybe, but it doesn't mean I have to like it. Yeah. Let me tell it, you, buddy, I do not like this fight. Yeah. It is not going to look good. And hopefully tomorrow's if it all steps it up and we see some like huge fight to fight growth that, out of her that we have not seen so far in what has admittedly been a pretty short MMA career to date. So yeah, she's 24 years old. She's younger yeah. than I thought she was. So there there's, there's some she's room 24. She started in 2018. Uh-huh. There's room for growth. We just need to see it. Just to check on Pasquale. Yeah, 34 debuted in 2016. Yeah, Pasquale, Pasquale is, I'm afraid, is a dead end. Yeah, that's much more cl- close to. She should be the best fighter she's ever going to be right now, but you got to bring these people in, you know? Yeah. What else can you do? And what are you going to do with Ramona Pasquale but feed her to a... Uh, a very very raw prospect. Yeah, that's that's what fighters like this, unfortunately, are for. Yep. Vidal opened at minus two thirty five, jumped to minus one seventy five, currently up at minus one forty three. Pasqual opened at plus two hundred, is currently down at plus one sixteen. Yeah, it should be a dead even fight. No reason to have any kind of favorite other than the idea that Vidal is based has beaten a few better fighters and is maybe a little better athlete, but fights, she fights a much worse fight than Ramona Pasquale. Mm-hmm. Like Pasquale is, Pasquale has a process. Yeah. She may not be a good enough athlete to pull things off, but she's clearly like somebody is teaching her all the right steps. He does jabs and low kicks. Yep. She shoots the occasional takedown. You know, she's got the, all the right pieces have been put in place. It's just not to a natural athlete. All right. On that note, we're going to wrap this up. You can find me on Twitter at these ain't Simon. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over bloodyobo.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast on Bloody Over Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. And we will see you next time. Adios.
Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not The Face Podcast, and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and as always, on BloodyElbow.com.